Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Into the Labyrinth. Uh, so today's episode, we're going to be discussing Russia and the Ukraine war and kind of some, the things around that. Um, and what that means is I, I like to add these clarifiers uh, beforehand just because based on some of the titles of my my episodes, some people might not understand how this kind of pertains to the niche of that is my show. Uh, however, this this is something that definitely relates to my interests, and I want to get more into politics because I believe the importance of being involved in that and having conversations about that and thinking about those things, um, especially when I think they pertain heavily to ideology and um, also in psychology where, you know, conflict occurs and seeing how people's perspectives change. You know, I, I think here in the West, especially because I'm in the United States, so I, I feel the need to add a bunch of these clarifiers before we dive in today um, about this. And, you know, I think we in the West, we've kind of been lulled to sleep a little bit and thinking that, you know, major wars between, you know, what the United States deems as their developed countries, which is has a problematic position in itself that we can get into another time. Uh, we, we like to think these kind of conflicts were a thing of the past or in the sense of sending in military troops, we'd like to think that was a thing of the past. And it's not. And we were, we were lulled to sleep for a bit. Um, and I want to add that clarifier because when I say all this stuff and talk about this stuff today, I'm mindful that I am in the United States and I do not want to act as though I defend the United States foreign policy. Um, I've maybe not on this show, but I've been outspoken in my life and in my writing um, against the American foreign policy. You know, our, our desire to spread democracy and our desire to be the world police uh, using, you know, proxy wars to extract resources from countries um, destabilizing nations. We see that all across the Middle East. I want to be mindful of that because I see a lot of those claims on Twitter of like, oh, you can't talk about the Ukraine situation. You know, look at what the U.S. does in uh, in the Middle East. It, I also would like to speak out about that stuff. Um, so I just want to be mindful of that. But this is like a current issue that's occurring right now and affecting people right now. And it's, you know, it's we're witnessing Russian aggression. Um, yeah, so I, I felt the need to add, add that clarifier. But before we dive in, like I said, we're going to cover how this involves ideology, like a certain character you might tell by the title that is influencing Putin. Um, and also, the thing I want to kind of start with is kind of giving like a quick overview. So, you know, why, maybe why Russia did this from a geopolitical standpoint, not even just purely ideological, but it is definitely influenced by the ideology. But I want to like first start, and this is going to add that that point about how you know when conflict occurs, people's cultural biases come about. And I want to play this clip to kind of really set the stage today. Uh, and it's it's from the the Daily Show. It was just it represents something really important and around these discussions of these difficult topics that are happening where people's lives are being destroyed countries are being destroyed um economies are being destroyed you know just the the whole host of things but when the the civil allure falls away and people show their racist other sides so let's play this a lot of people on tv didn't expect a war like this to happen in let's say 
certain neighborhoods. This is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. These are prosperous middle class people. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. What could be a difference here from other conflicts, you know, that could seem very far away, you know, in Africa or Middle East or whatever. I mean, these are Europeans that we're seeing uh, being killed. This isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. Okay, so that that last guy, I like, fuck that guy. Um, it's just, that's where I want to bring this up because the U.S. was a big player in destabilizing Iraq and Afghanistan. This idea that it was just this third world and underdeveloped and, and uncivilized, using those extremely racist terms, is false. Like that we, we destabilize those places. So I want to add that, that I'm not coming into this trying to like defend, you know, if I talk about Ukraine where I'm defending Ukraine or something, I'm not doing it in the sense of like, oh, that like the U.S. needs to defend its interests. I don't give a shit about that. Like U.S.'s interests, uh, you know, because the U.S. is, is a superpower that oversteps his power all the time. So I want to add that in there. And I, I want to give Trevor Noah here a chance to also uh, talk about this as well. Wow. That was you choosing your words carefully? That was the careful version? So what were you going to say if you weren't choosing your words carefully? I just hope the next time this happens, it happens back in the Middle East where it belongs. Like, here's the thing, people. Here's the thing. Beyond the racism, right? Like, let, let's, let's forget the racism. Oh, how I wish we could forget about the racism. You do realize that until very recently, fighting crazy wars was Europe's thing. That was Europe's entire thing. That's all of European history. They even had something called the Hundred Years' War. You understand how long that is? That's like a decade. (laughs) They got a Nobel Prize because they stopped fighting. Imagine that. Now people are going to be like, oh, to see this in, in Europe, to see this. Like, I'll tell you now, I don't know about you, but I was shocked to see how many reporters around the world, by the way, seems to think that it's more of a tragedy when white people have to flee their countries because I guess what, the darkies were built for it? I mean, you see how they run in the Olympics, Peter. Clearly God has given them this talent for a reason. I totally agree. I mean, even if this wasn't a war, these people would probably be fleeing their homes for fun. It's just who they are. (laughs) Back to you guys in the studio. Okay, so yeah, that was just a, I thought it was a good starting clip to, for people to understand my stance when I talk about this, because I want to come into this with uh, like the understanding the methodology of Russia, and I'm definitely not defending Russia, I'm, <laughs> I'm criticizing Russia here, um, but also I'm not criticizing Russia from a perspective of, oh, like the U.S. needs to defend its interests. That's all I want to say. Um, but okay, enough of that chit-chat. If you want to help support the show, you can leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can get the bonus audio feed on Patreon or the also app through Apple. Apple is doing the new bonus episode feature. Um, also, there's a link to my writing stuff. There's a bonus for that, and you can support me there. Um, that one's like five bucks a month. The audio feed like three bucks a month. And yeah, it just helps support the show. But also, just thank you for listening and listen to the lab.
Okay, so to kind of start this conversation, I just want to give an overview. Um, not like cover stuff that I think is being widely covered, but more so give an overview of the geopolitical situation before we start analyzing a potential ideological situation and how ideology is like influencing uh, potential actions. Um, so, for example, it's like Ukraine's country name stands for borderland. And then and, and the reason I want to add that clarifier beforehand too is I'm not going to like do this like quick just news rundown of what's happening in Ukraine. I'm having you have it coming in with an expectation that you kind of get the idea of what's going on of Russia invading Ukraine, trying to get to Kiev, uh, their full intentions. We still don't know, but obviously Ukraine and Russia have been in conflict for quite some time. Right. But anyway, so Russia, Ukraine's uh, country name stands for borderland. And I think this is a key to remember when trying to understand Russia's actions because it's r- Ukraine, this borderland idea. It's also this borderland because it's a, it's a European flatland. It's easy to traverse it's a good it's a good connecting uh, line for um, you know into into Western Europe and to connecting with the Black Sea in the Caspian Sea. It just plays a big geopolitical it, it, like a not border or it is a border <laughs> but bridge and this this is this is where the key comes in. So it is the country that's directly before what is called the the Vol- Volgograd Gap, which is fundamental to Russia throughout history. So like if, if a foreign power were to gain like influence in Ukraine, they could easily block Russia's access to the Black Sea and Caspian Sea by blocking off that gap there. Because it, it, because once you capture Ukraine, it directly goes into this Russian flatland that makes it's easy for Russia because it's Russia's flatland. It makes it has been easy access to the Black Sea and Caspian Sea for, you know, supply lines, um, exportation and imports and stuff like that. So it's, it's that idea that they're afraid that that will get blocked off. Like I said, this doesn't justify Putin's actions. I want to say Putin because I don't, the, the Russian people do not support this. They didn't think this was going to happen. But Putin is essentially a dictator of Russia right now. Um, but yeah, so Russia sees Ukraine as, and has throughout history, sees Ukraine as a necessary buffer for this reason. You know, it sees it as this fighting off NATO and Western expansion. Okay. So that's like the geopolitical idea. So Russia, and also Russia has been building troops and military supplies along Ukraine borders for, for about a year now. Like this has been talked about for a year. People didn't think it was going to happen just because, although I don't think people expected all the, the Western supports and with the sh- sanctions to come so unilaterally so quickly, um, it's still with how many, how much of Russia's economy relies on supplying energy uh, so energy lines to Europe, it just didn't seem like it was in their interest economically. But Russia, if we know Russia throughout history, they their foreign policy doesn't always operate that way. Their foreign policy operates in the sense of maintaining a centralized, cohesive Russia. And that's how the Soviet Union was established. And the Soviet Union had that mindset, that collective mindset of a united Russia, Right. So they they often operate with this foreign policy, and I, and I just think it's a very outdated foreign policy. But um, they operate with that foreign policy of essentially extending themselves out 
to have these buffer zones so they can always keep the Russian homeland secure, right? So Russia's entire history is based on the idea of expansion, right? So ideology gets passed down, those values get passed down. This is something that's been passed down. I still think, you know, obviously I don't like live in Russia, but hearing Putin talk and hearing even even though I, like we're going to get into this i think his his rhetoric has definitely shifted over the years um it's still this very this belief that they are following a collective mindset i think their collective their idea of a collective mindset is problematic um we'll get into that probably a different episode i don't know if we have time for that today but still it's it's just that idea of centralized control to maintain russia because russia throughout history has dealt with foreign invaders coming in and threatening their homeland. So they have this kind of ingrained in them. By expanding, they're able to defend themselves. That is their foundational belief system when it comes to foreign policy. So so basically holding geopolitical locations, you know, influence and 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 stuff like that. So and and it's kind of like that idea that like geopolitics and geopolitical locations, that influences the development of ideology and ideology gets passed down that way. You know, it's uh, your geopolitics is what determines a lot of countries' destinies, which that's why I'm saying, and that's why it influences people's ideology. And we're going to have a clip from um, Alexander Dugan, who's a very problematic figure uh, in the second half here, but I wanted to get through this this geopolitical explanation for the actions. So like I said, though, Russia has always focused more on Eastern Europe because it's western border, western, uh, Russia's western border, it's easier to defend because of how the geography and the climate work there. Like a, a, a invader, a foreign invader is not going to come in through that side. It's just not, the, the logistics don't work out, right? So eastern, it's always been focused on eastern Europe and eastern Europe borders, eastern Europe borders the heartland of Russia where most of their population, where most of Russia's population is. So that's why, you know, all their actions essentially are meant to defend that heartland. Essentially what I'm saying is, is, you know, Russia is very much stuck in 1990 still. Uh, Different use of rhetoric in in explaining their decisions and different mindsets for fighting the West. Um, But the idea of defending Mother Russia is still very much there. Uh, and, And that's not to say it's like that's unique to Russia. Um, but their methodology and, and reasoning for doing it might be somewhat unique based on how their geopolitical location is set up and their geography is set up and their history and their cultural history is is backed as well. And I think that's something we need to be mindful of when understanding why Putin did this. Because everyone's very confused why Putin would do this because we can see how it affected the ruble, affected their economy, how sanctions are affecting them. Uh, it's, it's not looking good for them. But it's also not this like clear cut case where we think like you Ukraine is is doing well right now in, in doing it, but they're also being propped up by uh, NATO and and European countries in the United States and being provided weapons and things like that. But nuclear war is a thing. Russia has nukes. NATO has nukes, and that idea is is it's that becomes the idea of the proxy war again. Ukraine ends up getting devastated, fighting a war that they probably, you know, a, a war that they're falling against the odds. 
and they they can't really expect NATO support and NATO troops to come in because that would heavily risk a nuclear war, right? And the reason that Russia feels so pressured, you know, NATO has a, has a role in that too. Like I said, it does not justify what Putin is doing um, and, and did, but it, we just need to be mindful of, of where we're at and why we are where we are, uh, you know. I think I hope I, I explained that well enough in, in that regard. But the idea the idea still is as a, although it affected like Putin knew when he did this. He's not he's not a complete idiot. He knew that it would affect the Russian economy. He knew that some sanctions would come. I don't know if he knew how much or how many sanctions would come, but uh you know Putin believes the cost of of hostility is worth it in this case. He believes I think he's preserving Russia. He's preserving Russian values. You know, I think he wants to create a new iron curtain probably. And the United States will then probably pivot to paying attention to Europe and NATO again. They'll probably stop trying to spread all these ideas of democracy throughout the world. So yeah, we're, we're seeing a major geopolitical shakeup. Uh, and that's why I want to cover this. You know, I studied, this is what I studied in college. I still have a fascination with it, but I do enjoy putting the philosophical spin on it, which we're also going to be covering here. But uh, yeah, NATO, I think is essentially going to be kind of returning to its roots. And we'll, we'll get into like the problematic stuff on, on the side of United States and NATO in the future as well, because, you know, tensions are high because neither side trusts each other, right? Neither side is very like doing very well with diplomacy and, re- and international relations and things like that. You know, people's egos get in the way and people's, yeah, it's, it's, truly international relations is truly fascinating seeing seeing all the petty things that happen in your individual lives you know between conflicts in your life between family members and friends and and people you barely know or people you just meet and you don't really give them a chance to understand them you know just imagine that on a global scale imagine you we 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 like to pretend that world leaders stop doing those things that they stop doing those petty games that they stop having those petty assumptions you know, and, and they don't take into account how their actions affect other people. Individuals do that all the fucking time. World leaders are not any, they're humans. They're flawed humans just like everyone else. They're not really special. A lot of luck is involved in becoming a world leader. And usually world people that become world leaders probably shouldn't be world leaders because the inherent issue of wanting to be a world leader makes you probably not a good world leader. Um, so just taking all those things into account, it's just you see how that affects people when they have power right but this is where i want to bring in the ideology side of things and a discussion on the on on ideology um and seeing putin's shift so the reason i got really motivated to do this episode uh to kind of provide my bias i wrote this paper in college and i would usually not be petty about something like this but uh it's just the topic i covered is something that is now being talked about way more. This was all the way back in 2015. Uh, I wrote this paper on how Putin, his rhetoric was is shifting. His rhetoric of Soviet kind of style rhetoric, uh, you know, the communist style rhetoric was shifting towards a more fascist, uh, nationalistic, uh, you know, Eurasianism style philosophy of trying to unite the Eurasianist continent, right? Um that it, it started shifting towards more towards that and more even like a more religious 
uh, basis and foundation, going back to the roots of religion, which is not a Soviet-style philosophy. Uh, and I saw that. And then I, you know, discovered this character that was heavily influencing Putin, and his name was Alexander Dugan. And usually I wouldn't talk about someone like this. Alexander Dugan is a fascist. He's a philosopher, he's a fascist, uh, extremely problematic beliefs, scary belief system. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I'm worried about how ideology influences people's decisions. And like I said, I talked about this in 2015 in this paper, and the professor ended up kind of docking me for thinking I was falling into conspiratorial thinking, overstating how much influence Dugan um, had on Putin. I kind of like left it at then because it wasn't super clear at the time. It was the kind of beginning stages of people recognizing how much say Dugan had on Putin. Um, but as the years have gone by, I've noticed him more in the news. I've noticed him even more heavily connected with Putin. And also we've kind of seen a gradual, more aggressive Putin on criticizing the West, criticizing our criticizing the foreign policy and have just having concerns for Russia. We kind of just started seeing more of this rhetoric. And now, and, and, and the reason I bring up Dugan too, Dugan has been saying for years that Russia needs to overtake Ukraine. He is a believer that Russia needs to overtake Eastern Europe. He believes in that. That is a foundational thing of Dugan's philosophy to recreate this this what he believes to be a more pure Russia, to unite the cultures of Russia. And the reason he believes this is he doesn't see those Eastern those Eastern European countries as separate countries because his belief is that they don't have a separate culture. So therefore, they are part of Russia and therefore it is justified for Russia and Putin to do whatever they want to invade those countries. An absolutely ridiculous uh, philosophy, fascist philosophy, foundationally fascist philosophy, terrible, evil, Right. Okay, so I gave a little rundown there. I want to give a little clip of, I don't know how far we'll get into this. I'll probably do this entire clip on a different episode just because we don't have time today. I just kind of wanted to give the overview today of my thinking and motivations for doing this and possibly diving into uh, more of this stuff based on how this episode does and the feedback I get. So let's play this clip. Uh, It's kind of concerning. Well, everything is relative. And we need, we in Russia, we could use postmodernity in order to explain to the West that if any truth is relative, so we have our special Russian truth that you need to accept as something that maybe is not your truth. Even if it's not true. But... If the truth is relative, that doesn't mean that the truth doesn't exist. That means that absolute truth, one for all, uh, doesn't exist. Let's take an example. If you you watch Russian television today, um, you'd think that uh, Russia and America were about to go to war. Yes, but the same if we if we are examining examining if we are reading American press, yeah. we have the same impression. Not really. I've just come back from America. You don't really get that impression. Do Do you think this is genuinely the case? No, I, I think that now uh, the situation is in Syria, for example, United States continuing to be unipolar or consider continuing to consider itself as unipolar. Uh, power, uh, it says no more asset. 
and antithesis uh, powers of the Western uh, um, Europe re repeats after Washington. We uh, doesn't want any more Assad, but Putin, other civilization says stop. Let have Assad, and after that there are there is our nuclear and uh, military power. Beside, uh, behind Assad. So, and that is serious. If you are boss, you could not let the other decide, if you really is uh, a boss, decide what to do in your realm of responsibility. It is. Okay, so <clears throat> that was a little rundown. I know it's obviously English is not his like main language. Um, but yeah, you just see. This idea that, you know, truth is relative. Truth is based on, you know, for him, the culture that he's in. Uh, so it's just this idea of the Russian truth. And he's using the idea of the Russian truth, which is also what Putin's doing. The Russian truth, the Russian culture, the Russian collective. This becomes their truth's justification for imperialism. The United States does its own version of it. Don't get me wrong. And I have a problem with that as well. We also need to criticize when we see it elsewhere. And this is the case, especially when it's from a more fascistic foundation, which I find more concerning. It's very fascist-based. Um, you know, Dugan has this kind of warped idea of collective thinking because he doesn't comprehend that his individual mindset is mandating the thinking. His individual mindset is, okay, we need to think collectively. I'm, and he, he's, there's a, there's another clip I saw of him and I'll try to find it um, and probably talk about it in a different episode. But it's, he, he puts forward this idea that, oh, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the, the ideologies that I believe in, the ideologies that I think are beyond myself, that are the truth I must follow. I'm giving myself to the ideology. So he's giving himself to the ideology. He's giving himself to the Russian truth. But whose action was it to give yourself to that? And then begin speaking in this way. And then begin thinking that, okay, this collective truth where some people agree upon it, some agree upon what it may be, whatever Russian culture is, which anytime you try to pinpoint what a culture is, that becomes problematic because cultures are constantly being influenced by each other. But he wants to preserve Russian culture. So he gives himself up to preserving that thing. But that's his still, that his, his desire. And now he's speaking about, no, I'm just giving myself up to the collective. And now the collective can influence the, the, the world in a sense, influence our area. And there's the, where the justification comes in. Justification for violent action, justification for violent action on Ukraine. His idea is that he is giving himself up to the collective and preserving that. He's trying to, he's telling himself that he's preserving that. And then he justifies these terrible means from that, from that position, from that position, you know, and because he, you know, like I said, he doesn't comprehend that you can't ever completely separate the individual self. You can try to give yourself to collective actions, but you can't separate yourself there because then you stop seeing the selfish nature of your ways and how your actions and how your beliefs are affecting other people. You know, it, it, it comes into this really fucked up thinking. So now he thinks like a war in Ukraine, even though Russian lives are going to be lost and human life in general, he sees himself as only part of the Russian collective. 
So then when he comes into Ukraine, although all Russia, those Russian people are making a sacrifice to protect the collective Russia, he's he is putting forward this philosophy of making the decision for the Ukrainian people, where the Ukrainian people should have a right to decide that. You know, it's this it's this centralized form of power masquerading as this collective idea that they're just worrying about their people and it creates these messed up positions you know and and the reason i i bring up dugan too is dugan has become a popular figure in far uh, right extremist groups there's far right extremist groups that are okay with putin's actions they're like defending putin's actions um, I have some clips prepared as well for that, but I had, I thought, thought I had enough stuff on an episode for, for this type of topic. Um, just seeing some of the reactions in the U S of almost defending Putin and, you know, Oh, Putin's just trying to preserve Russia, Russian values, you know? Um, and, and this is where those extremist positions, those far right extremist positions become justified for people. Justified in an unjust sense, of course, how they justify them. Um, so, for example, like to kind of end this episode to, to leave you something to think about and maybe you want to go check out Dugan Moore and his problematic beliefs. Dugan wants a strong state. He's not this Soviet-style communist. He is very much a conservative. He is an extreme form of right-wing conservatives that we see in the U.S. He has that. He reminds me of very much of conservatives sometimes in the U.S. And that is the concerning thought, too. He wants a strong state. He wants order above all else. He wants a traditional family. He wants to reinforce the church in society. He want, He's in favor of state-controlled media. He's in favor of all those things. He's a far-right extremist. And he, he uses... This is where, where I hesitate to say this. He has a fucked up understanding of what postmodernism is too. As you could see in the beginning of the clip, he believes, you know, all truth is relative. You know, everything is relative. And this is what the belief that when everything is relative comes into play and it becomes problematic because people don't understand the difference between objective truth, subjective truth, and intersubjective truth. And these are things we'll be kind of diving more in and in the coming weeks as well but i hope you kind of enjoyed this different style of episode uh it's a little bit more of a serious topic than than maybe i usually cover and but um i just thought it should be covered and i hope i i hope i covered it well enough for you um i appreciate you all for listening tune in next time but it's time for you to get the fuck out of my lab right? <laughs>